chaperone I'm trying to get ghosts Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, you'll be getting my instant reaction to the new Scream movie, Scream 5, but really just called Scream, the 2022 version, just to be clear, since the first one's called that as well, which just opened today. And I'll be giving you a spoiler-free review, followed by a long conversation that I had with Sona, my co-host, for the Dexter recaps and other recaps, about her recent revisit to the original franchise. And then, towards the end, there will be about 10 minutes, 15 minutes of spoilers on the new film. So there'll be a warning there. There'll be some music to cue you in that we're about to transition into that spoiler if you want to go into this movie spoiler-free, which I do recommend. Before we get to all of that, also, this weekend, Sona and I will be recapping the finale of the Yellow Jackets show on Showtime, a new series, a mystery thriller and possibly horror series that's been building buzz throughout its run and is now renewed for a second season. And that's also on Showtime, and many people probably up their Showtime subscriptions for the Dexter reboot, which most people were disappointed with, but they've been happy with Yellow Jackets instead, I guess. But we will be reviewing and recapping that episode. And also, shortly thereafter, stay tuned for my second conversation with Ian, a follow-up to our conversation about the year of 1991 into 92, when Nirvana displaced Michael Jackson as the number one album in the country and kind of ushered in that era of 90s alternative music. And it's just funny, maybe just some kind of synergy that at this moment we're discussing Yellow Jackets, which takes place in 1996, and this new Scream reboot, which calls back to the original film from 1996. It's the actual 25th anniversary in the universe of the Scream movies in that film. And of course, 1991, this musical moment as well. So maybe nostalgia for the 90s is ready to break open. If you want to get notified when those episodes become available, please be sure to subscribe to us. Give us a review or give us a five-star rating on your podcatcher of choice, especially if you're on Spotify, by the way. They just added the ability of rating us, so please do do that. Just go up to our show page and click the three dots, and there's an option there to give us a rating. So with that out of the way, let's get into my review of Scream. So this latest version of the uh, Scream formula comes from Matt Olpin and Tyler Gillette, and screenwriters James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick, who most recently collaborated, the four of them, to bring us Ready or Not, one of the breakout horror films from a few years back, which starred Samara Weaving. And that's an entertaining film if you haven't caught up with it yet. Samara Weaving also in Nine Perfect Strangers, a show we did recap here, by the way, if you want to catch up on those. And for my money, this is the best of all the Scream sequels. For many people, that's not saying that much. I am actually am a true fan of this series. And I think if you are a true fan of this series, and I've really discovered that as in as I've been re-watching these films very recently, pre- preparing for this commentary, that I think I'm probably like a ride or die for the Scream franchise. I just like the formula. I just like the mystery elements to it. And I feel that as the series progressed, as they got to the third film, that the series, that original trilogy, got a little stale. But I did think they freshened it up well with the fourth one, which was still significantly inferior to the first Scream film. But I think with this one, we have a film that, as a film itself, as a clever script and as an actual film, is perhaps better than the first Scream film. And I say that like as far as its construction, as far as its performances, as far as its story and its visuals and the surprises it has. But of course, it's never going to have the cultural impact of that first film, because in the end, it really sticks to the formula once again. But in its construction, it's very, very good. And definitely, I think if you've been a fan of the series of the sequels at all, 
I have a pretty strong feeling that any diehard Scream fan is going to really love this film. I probably want to watch it more than once. So the three key players from the original film that we see on the poster, so it's not much of a spoiler here, come back, and that's Nev Campbell as Sydney and Courtney Cox as Gail. And lastly, Dewey comes back, David Arquette. And you'll actually hear momentarily when I discuss Sona's experience with the series, I fault David Arquette. He's so mannered in his performance, especially when he was younger. He was making such an effort <laughs> that uh, it, it did just kind of rub me the wrong way. Just kind of the performer that doesn't really work for me. And I would say he is the MVP of this film. Just the day after recording that conversation with Sona, I found that he brought like the emotional gravitas that this film has, if it has any for you. I think that's where it works the best. The film itself takes place 25 years after the events of the first film. It's, a, it's explicitly the 25th anniversary of the events of the first film. The original films has, have actually become a series of films called Stab instead of Scream. And there's so much commentary here. The opening sequence here directly correlates back to the original film. It's oftentimes imitating the same shot selections the Drew Barrymore sequence in the first Scream film. And this is the best, I think, of the opening sequences after the first film. And that kind of goes across the board. And after the initial attack, this starts to regroup the Arcan our clan of, of folks. But of course, we're also introduced to a new group of friends, a friends group that are all suspects in this attack. But there's deeper mythology there as well. So it's very interesting. There's psychological elements that they're playing with here. There's a lot of comedy here, mined from the idea of elevated horror. The first victim of the attack is uh, grilled on her fandom for elevated horror. She says her favorite horror movie is The Babadook. And she talks about, you know, she only wants to ask trivia questions about Hereditary or It Follows and The Witch. Films that have broken out as this kind of elevated, this new genre of elevated, quote unquote, these artsy uh, horror films, which I'm a big fan of. But uh, Ghostface Killer on the phone is not a fan of these films. <laughs> he wants to go back to the original slasher recipe. And actually, we that kind of actually pays off later in the film itself. So really well done. It's great to see the cast members again. Nev Campbell looks great, by the way. I just want to call that out that I, I can't believe you know, it's been 25 years since these folks have been in these um, films and they all look great, but specifically I want to call out Nev Campbell. And if this film ends up performing as well as I suspect it will, this may launch a new franchise. There's enough survivors from the new cast and enough of a hint of a possible mythology here that this may evolve into a new series and we'll wait and see. So that's my general review of the film. Very much a fan. Great to see the original cast member again. I have a few nits to pick, but relatively few. It, for my money, is the best of the sequels, undoubtedly the best of the sequels, I think. There's the usual checkboxes to hit, but they hit them hard, and this is obviously fans making this film. The violence is more intense, for sure. Comedy is maybe not as slapstick, but still there, and a lot of satire, satirizing the horror genre itself, and, the fil and these films specifically. But I had a blast. I had a lot of fun, and I found the ending thrilling. Uh, it, almost against myself, I kind of almost saw everything that was coming. It's the usual formula. You literally have the killer revealed with 20, 30 minutes to go at the end, which is the formula here once again, what we've seen in all the sequels up until this point. And there's a protracted sequence where the killer and the survivors have their confrontation. So highly recommend if you're a Scream fan. If you hate the Scream movies, I don't think this is going to convert anybody. But if you do enjoy them even mildly, I think this is definitely worth a watch. And you do not have to be a completist. You do not have to see all four you can literally have just seen the first one 
and understand the premise of this one, which they set up in the opening conversation, and you can follow along fine. But if you are a true diehard fan, there are many, many Easter eggs referencing all of the films in between as well. Now we'll get into that conversation I had with Sona, and then my spoilers once again at the end of the episode. Enjoy. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. your ongoing COVID recovery? Uh, why did I get hit so hard with this? I don't understand. I am coming up with theories about other people got Moderna, but I got Pfizer, or maybe I got my booster too early. But anyway, I am finally at the tail end of it. Just a little post-nasal drip left. It's bearable, more than bearable. Myers a full 13 days later. One of the contractors who was working at my parents' place. He's unvaccinated. His whole family's unvaccinated. And he uh, kept calling, like saying, oh, I'm busy. I'm this and the other thing. And he kept asking, like, how's my mom doing? Was Because my mom had gotten a cold. And uh-huh. we, and Kim actually gave her a, a COVID test. So it doesn't look like anybody got COVID amongst us. But we were worried about it because she got pretty sick. You know, she's pretty sick and you know, she's older. And uh, she's actually still recovering from it. So this has been lingering for like weeks now. So maybe it was COVID because she is vaccinated. But uh, who knows? But anyway, this guy had COVID and now that he's back, he just finished work today. He basically told her that uh, the whole family was laid up. He couldn't get out of bed for like weeks, for three, four weeks, practically, he said. <laughs> and uh, that's why he was calling up and canceling work. So my mother said, so are you now going to get vaccinated? And he's like, no, I'm vaccinated now because I got Because now they're like, well, I had it. I'm good. Although that hasn't actually been the data, right? The data is, I, we know someone who owns a, rest, owns a restaurant and he's unvaccinated. And he's been, had COVID three times now. It's his third time having COVID. I don't know why we keep going down that. that It's not pleasant. We can't smell anything anymore or taste anything. And he just keeps getting COVID. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to get better the more times you get infected. But anyway, what are you going to (laughs) do? He's helping to greet the super bug. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Eventually, it'll be the one that- Thanks for doing your part. (laughs) It'll be the one that wipes us all out. Seriously. It's like that antibiotic resistant uh, situation. Yeah. Anyway, um, so glad to hear you guys are on the mend at least. Yeah, no, a thousand times better than we were. Absolutely. And I just read this morning that in New York, that the the positivity rate shot up and now it's shooting back down. Yeah. This should be flaming through quickly, luckily, at least in this area. So, yeah, I know in some areas it's still spiking up, but I think it it will pass in a few weeks. Hopefully we'll all be better off. Hopefully. (laughs) Until, uh, yeah, my friend's a super disease (laughs) just takes us all out. (laughs) (laughs) That is like Station Eleven, if anybody's been watching that one. (laughs) I have not. I've read the book, by the way. I read the book a while ago. but uh, I've heard it's good, but it's just not my thing, but I've heard it's good. (laughs) I watched the first episode. After the first episode, I'm like, I don't know if I can watch this. <laughs> too close, right? A little yeah. too close to home, exactly. Okay. So the main reason we're getting get together here, first of all, I wanted to let you know that we had more 
listeners for the latest episode of the Dexter Recaps in 12 hours than we had for any of the previous Dexter episodes. <laughs> so Maybe because everyone was like, but what about those two minutes at the end? <laughs> what do they mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as I am still searching for an answer to that as well. It's funny. I actually had other questions and I'm going to save them for when we do the, and I'll just use this as an excuse to introduce it. That I think another reason that we may have picked up listeners there is I know Yellow Jackets has gotten a lot of internet buzz and we did go into Yellow Jackets. So if you're just listening to this now, folks, go back and listen to our up to now catching up on Yellow Jackets, plus the Dexter recap most recently. And of course, we covered the entire season if you are binging that, because I know some of the old Dexter episodes are now picking up listeners as well. So check that out. And uh, we will, in just a few days, actually be watching, and I'm very excited for this, the season finale of Yellow Jackets. So if you're listening to us for the first time, check back in, catch up on that show, and that will be coming over the weekend as well. Yellow Jackets is maybe the other reason that we got a lot of listeners there. And I guess mm -hmm. we'll see that depending on what happens with our recap next week. And I have a whole bunch of other Dexter things. When I was editing the Dexter episode with you, I had all these other questions I wanted to ask you. And your, the thing with the letter really was so distracting to me. I'm like, that really makes no sense at all that I got so distracted by that, that I forgot to bring up these other things I wanted to talk to you about. So maybe we'll have like a you know, quick side on those things as well. But for today's episode, what we wanted to get into is I have already booked my ticket, Sona, to go see tomorrow morning in an empty theater, practically empty theater. Yeah. The new Scream movie. But I do think that this movie is going to have a big opening weekend. Just out of curiosity, I wasn't actually planning on going tonight, but I was like, let me just go see and book a ticket because I can see how full the theater is. And there were very few tickets left for tonight's preview screenings. So I'm like, oh, this might be, this might do well. And uh, just as some context, Scream 4, Scream 1, 2, and 3 were extremely popular, but Scream 4, which is 10 years old now, 10 years ago, that movie really didn't do very well. Uh, so it, maybe this is the right time for a screen reboot because it looks like it's going to have a big opening weekend. And during the pandemic, no less, where other than Spider-Man movies, <laughs> the, the rest of the yeah. movies haven't really been making a lot of money. And this is in theaters only, correct? In theaters only, correct. Uh, well, I won't be seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, though, I have seen some movies in theaters and other than the Spider-Man movie, which was booked, and I tried to see it early and it was completely packed when I went there. But I'd say that I've actually been very comfortable seeing movies in the movie theater because if you go for a morning screening or something, especially when you have to book your tickets ahead, you have to like pick your seats now. Right. You can see right away like that screening, that one's full, but this one's empty. So I feel pretty mm -hmm. comfortable when I go into an empty theater. So anyway, so As for someone today- who inadvertently yeah. got COVID, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although, if not now, when, actually? <laughs> That's right. So being able to get out there and do all my indoor dining, drinking, movie going, theater watching uh, in the next six weeks. That's right. You're as immunized as you possibly That's can be right now. Fair <laughs> For point. This window yeah. of opportunity yeah. here. Go see Spider-Man. You and Joel, Joel go can nuts. go see Spider-Man. Go on a cruise. Yeah. <laughs> go on a cruise. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that should be a requirement. Did you get Omicron? Then go on a cruise. <laughs> to keep a cruise industry in business, they're just going to require exactly. everyone who recovered from COVID to get on a boat. <laughs> They'll just have a lottery for anybody who has Omicron and the government will pay for all the tickets. So this episode currently, my plan is to have a spoiler-free review of the new Scream reboot, which is coming out. And uh, then in the middle, Sona is going to give me her opinion of a recent rewatch of the Scream movies. This is going to be mostly Sona speaking because I pretty much did mine a couple of weeks back on the Dexter recaps. And so check in our feed for those earlier episodes. 
but this will be mostly Sona's opinion. And then at the end of the episode, by the way, and I'll have some kind of bumper, I will do a full spoiler on the new screen movie, but that will be at the very end. So don't worry, we will not go into spoilers. However, right now, I'm going to start getting into the screen movies. And as a warning for everybody, and I assume we've all seen this, but we are going to spoil the previous screen movies right now. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. No reason to not spoil, Sona. Just uh, tell me your opinion of re-engaging with the Scream franchise in the past few days. So first, as a disclaimer, I did rewatch these when I had COVID. And (laughs) while I felt clear-headed at the time, I'm revisiting several emails that I sent during that time, documents that I drafted during that time, and realizing that perhaps it was not 100% on my game. So, um, <laughs> there may have been a little brain fog involved, but... I will warn you um, if you're t- making up things that were not in the movies, because <laughs> I have also rewatched them recently. Yeah, it's okay, good. Yeah, just feel like, wait, that doesn't sound right. So anyway, I have forgotten how fun these movies are. Yep. I really enjoyed rewatching them. I thought they were... Just like a super fun ride. I have forgotten how fast paced they are. Mm-hmm. That there really is no downtime between the, between, does it have a name? That character that they dress up as? Oh, they call Ghostface Killer. Like is that right? right? I, yeah. Because I, I never realized there was a connection there. Okay. Just to be clear on that, Ghostface Killer existed before. The mask was modeled after the famous painting, The Scream. And mm-hmm. of course, the movie's called Scream. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they, I take that back. I was going to say, I don't think they intended that. But in the movies, they call the killer Ghostface. Uh, so I guess they never call him Ghostface Killer, obviously. But I guess the whole thing was intentionally a pun on <laughs> Ghostface Killer, the, the rapper. Interesting. Okay. So the, the rapper came first. Yes. Okay. So I have forgotten how much Ghostface and how frequently Ghostface shows up in these movies Mm -hmm. like obviously from the get-go with the drew barrymore scene that was like at the time it was a huge surprise that drew barrymore was in the movie Um, i actually saw the first scream in a movie theater i remember distinctly and i don't think it was right it wasn't disclosed beforehand that drew barrymore was going to be in that that's my no actually that's actually a very interesting thing that they did very cleverly if you actually see the original poster drew barrymore is a very prominent on the poster and the trailer showed a lot of that opening sequence. So the shock of the movie intentionally. So the shock was, with the two dies right away. <laughs> absolutely. So that's what's fascinating about this, how pragmatic in a way that the writer was, Kevin Williamson. Obviously, this is no one knew this movie was going to be as huge as it was or as influential. But what's so great about it is that when he wrote it, the plan from day one was we're going to get someone who's pretty famous. We're going to put them at the beginning of the movie. We're going to promote it this way. (laughs) And so he had a whole marketing plan with this as well. And as a matter of fact, he outlined all three movies as part of his initial pitch. This was pretty genius of him, I got to (laughs) say. That's really interesting because I remember, maybe I was just clueless as to what the movie was about or what was going on in it, even though I cared enough to go see it in the theater. Although at the time, that was really the only option if you wanted to see a movie. But (laughs) 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 you want to wait like a year for Blockbuster. I remember being surprised Drew Barrymore was in it, but maybe it was just my own cluelessness at the time. But then, yes, like from the get-go, she is in it. The killer is there and she is dead within the first 10 minutes. So it starts off with a bang. And then I thought there was going to be like, I guess in my memory or in the suspense films I've watched since then, there's like a lull where nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And I expect there to be that 
type of lull, but no, you got like a five minute break before he shows up again, going after Nev Campbell. So I had forgotten like just how fast paced it is and how it just keeps that pace throughout the entire first and second movies. It's just like constantly going. And in a way, as someone who doesn't love horror movies, because they are just so grim and graphic and I just don't care for how gruesome they can be in a way that like it's bearable for me. It's not over the top. It's not obviously there's some shock value. I can't say it's not done for shock value when someone's getting stuck in the automatic garage door, (laughs) Um, but not in that way of being grisly just for being grisly. I felt that I totally did not need to avert my eyes more than once or twice. (laughs) I would say I love all of the inside jokes about how these movies are structured and what's going to happen next. And the character, I can't remember his name, giving all the meta commentary. Randy. Mm -hmm. About how these things go and who's going to survive and who's not going to Mm -hmm. survive. Um, Loved all of that and watching it all again. Like it just was super fun, I thought. I just so much sarcasm, which I'm a big fan of with, oh, I can't remember his name now. Not Skeet Ulrich, the other one. Shoot, who's in Uh, Scooby-Doo? <laughs> Matthew Lillard plays Stuart. Yes, thank you. Uh, Matthew Lillard's character I thought was super funny with his like little inside jokes and his sarcasm. And like, even in the final scene, that is just blood is just everywhere. And he's going, My parents are going to kill me. <laughs> I love that. It's my favorite. I excerpted that in my <laughs> segment. That, uh, yeah, he's just, like, Did you really call the cops? My parents are going to be so mad at me. Since I saw it in the movie theater, I think I have rewatched it in bits and pieces, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I had rewatched the entire movie in one sitting until just this last, the end of December there. And yeah, it was very fun to watch knowing the ending. Whereas the first time I was starting to figure it out in bits and pieces because there were just certain deductive conclusions you would draw but like fully knowing the explanation for what is happening and why it's happening and re-watching the movie was actually more enjoyable than I expected it to be yeah I feel the same way I uh, re- you know we all recently watched it we, you know, we took for this conversation and about the same time we were watching them I think within a few days of each other and I had the same experience I had definitely seen this more than once as a matter of fact, I mentioned it in that previous episode, but I had gotten together with my nephews and the younger nephew was probably like 13 years old at the time. The older one's probably 17 or something. And we were together for Halloween and I said, what can we watch that would be like teen friendly? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know what? This would be perfect for it. And I know it sounds a little graphic for like a 13 year old, but I mentioned there as well that he had just binged all the Saw movies. So I'm like, well, this is not as bad as that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's like, this is safe compared to that. And it worked like gangbusters. Like they loved it. They laughed. He like was cracking up at the end with Matthew Lillard, but they were jumping at the scary parts and they were laughing yeah. and they were on the edge, like literally on the edge of their seats. You can see them like squirming towards the edge of the seats, like with the, yeah. and then laughing afterwards, it worked perfectly. And I'm like, wow, this movie really holds That's- up after 20 years. That's such a fun experience as an uncle to be able to get to share that with your nephews. Exactly. Yeah, it really was so pleasant to see them like reacting exactly like probably I reacted back in the day when I saw Exactly. And I'm like, wow, this thing works great. And a few things that touch on what you mentioned, I, you know, even though I had seen this again, I had never really analyzed it until this moment. So I thought about how utterly clever the script is. So just a few things I'll call out. A few things I'll call out. One is that the director is Wes Craven. 
who had directed mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street, just right. to name one thing. And uh, but he only directed the first one, and then he directed New Nightmare later on, very much later, like right before Scream, actually right before this movie, he directed like a reboot of the Freddy movies that was really strange. It was like it was meta. It was a meta movie. It was about the actual people in the original, including Wes Craven, including the actress, including Robert Englund, who plays Freddy, basically having nightmares about Freddy because they're about to make another Freddy movie, and mm-hmm. it's like. They're incepting Freddy into the real world. And uh, so it's interesting. That movie came out. It was a flop. People did not like it because that's not the kind of Freddy movie they wanted to see. But it got Wes Craven this movie because it's very meta, just the way that Freddy movie was. So that's the first thing that's interesting about it. The second thing is that uh, Wes Craven, the director of that movie, there's a piece of dialogue early on where the Ghostface killer on the phone says to Drew Barrymore, do you like the Freddy movies? And he's yeah, the first one, but the rest are terrible <laughs> because, of course, Wes Craven only directed the first That's one. That's <laughs> really funny. I didn't get that joke. That is so funny. <laughs> and then another great piece of dialogue is I like uh, the second time that he's on the phone with uh, this time with Nev Campbell and he basically threatens her and he goes, she says, I hate scary movies. Is some idiotic girl who is running up the stairs when she should be running out the front uh-huh. door. And then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and literally one minute later, he jumps out. She goes yep. right to the front door. And the door has the chain on it because she just chained it because she got paranoid when the phone mm-hmm. call came in. She pulls the door. The chain is on. So she turns around and sprints up the stairs. Up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really clever. Oh, and then, of course, uh, her boyfriend shows up. And uh, on the soundtrack, we hear Don't Fear the Reaper is playing. And I'm like, aha, see, and the first clue that the Reaper is right there in the room. So very, uh, very. Up on that one. Let's yeah, there's one. a lot of little clever things in there when you watch it a second time or third time or fifth time, whatever, that uh, you'd be surprised at how clever it is. To your point, I think that's very interesting. I never thought about it until you said it right now, but I think that this is maybe one of the biggest residual effects of Scream and its popularity is what you described it as you're describing that it's not really a horror movie for you because you're not really a huge fan of horror movies. I was thinking to myself, you're absolutely right. It's so fast paced. It's more like a thriller. Yes, it definitely hits that spot for me of the perfect combination of the elements of all those movies, which is not that easy to find all the time. Yeah. And that's what I was about to say is that that's maybe the biggest compliment. I look at a movie like uh, Hereditary, for example, recently. And when you look at that director like Ari Aster, the movie is so impeccably, like beautifully made. It's like an art film, but that happens to be a horror movie. And it's this whole idea of elevated horror, by the way, that's this new label going around. But I always had this issue with Wes Craven. My criticism of Wes Craven is his films are very perfunctory looking. They don't have, they're not very stylish. But what I would give him huge credit for here as a director is exactly re-describing that the film has this thriller pace. It doesn't feel like a horror movie. It feels like a thriller. But Mm -hmm. then- it does, it's able to manage that tone where all of a sudden it gets quiet and it slows down and he gives you the scares too. So it's a, it's an interesting blend. And I think that is something we do still see in the movies, but I think it's something he perfected when he made that first screen movie. Yeah, the pacing was great, honestly. I'm a person who gets very easily distracted when I watch things <laughs> because it's funny to you and I need to be engaged every single moment otherwise I'm distracted Um, and this does that I feel it really doesn't give you that time to think like I'm just going to check this text real quick you pretty much get sucked into it from the get-go which is very fun and also very fun was 
seeing all of the 90s fashion also. (laughs) Of course, always, always. (laughs) like very true to form for that period of time a lot of stylistic things that were exactly the right right outfits to choose for these especially the female characters in the film and then also if I'm remembering correctly which obviously my memory is very faulty is that I thought Drew Barrymore was to be surprised but I believe this was the start of Courtney Cox and David Arquette's relationship as well, Mm -hmm. right? I I forgot this is where they met. Yeah. And they're very cute together, by the way. Although I'm not a big fan of David Arquette in general. He's a little too mannered for me. But you know who I was a huge fan of here, especially in the subsequent sequels? I thought Courtney Cox does a great job of making Gale, which was probably Mm -hmm. written as a very one-dimensional character in the first movie. She really becomes like the most interesting character as the series progresses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it really, uh, it introduced a lot into our pop culture, I think, mm-hmm. but maybe we're yeah. not giving it enough credit for. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. Or at least I haven't been. <laughs> the other thing I have to say though, and I also just like the music so much better from the nineties for anybody who is following this podcast regularly. I just dropped an episode this week where we discuss the chart week of 1991 when Nirvana knocked Michael Jackson out of number one. And we talked about how that like really started the nineties, as far as music is concerned. It was the whole beginning of, you know, alternative music becoming pop music. And uh, we have seen so much fetishization of the eighties over the past five, six, seven years that between the new Scream reboot and now Yellow Jackets taking place 25 years ago, both taking place on 25 year anniversaries, basically, that uh, maybe it's time that we we start to uh, move into the 90s. And I'm all for it, by the way. (laughs) I'm all for it, too. That was a really fun time in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course, for for us, it was our heyday. So that's fine. Yeah, it's a a nice kind of nostalgia for me, honestly. I don't mind it. So, yeah, like I really all in all... Sometimes you rewatch a movie that you loved and you think, I don't know why I love this as much as I did. It was fine, <laughs> but I'm not sure why I thought it was so great at the time. But this, I was just as happy rewatching it as I was the first time around, if not more. And I totally agree with that on the first film. And my question to you, and I don't have negative opinion, by the way, I'm just curious to get your feedback, was... What was your experience with the sequels? So I only watched the second one. Okay. um, Mm -hmm. Because that's all COVID would allow me to do. But I did enjoy it quite a bit. This is another movie that I think I saw once, but I did remember who the pillars were. So Mm -hmm. I did still have that insight going into it. I did enjoy it a lot and probably as much as I enjoyed it the first time around, but I would say that amount of enjoyment is not the same as for the first. I still I still think it's worthwhile to watch. I just really like the first one. So maybe one less really on the second. I think for a sequel, I thought it was very clever about being a sequel. It was dropping those hints about Jason's mother being mm-hmm. the killer. Same level, I think, of self-awareness and cleverness, all of that. And same pace, similarly, very fast pace, not really, never a dull moment. I'm a big Timothy Oliphant fan Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I find him very charming. So I enjoyed watching him. I had completely forgotten Jerry O'Connell was in this altogether. Um, (laughs) So did I, by the way, totally (laughs) forgotten. But I do. Not to slag him too much, but he's a pretty forgettable person, unfortunately. 
I find him likable, though. I, I enjoy watching him. I don't <laughs> mind him at all. I just, yeah, I completely spaced out that he was in this movie. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, and Laurie Metcalf, always fun to watch. There, I still think there's a lot of good things to say about it. It's just, as they mentioned in the movie, it's rare for the sequel to be as good as or better than the first. I think it, it suffers from that just baked into what it is. I think it's it's really hard when something yeah. has set such a high standard to live up to that or surpass that. But it still was pretty good, I felt. What did you think? I, I watched all four, believe it or not. I, I watched the first three on that binge because uh, when I texted you, I was like, it's all expiring from streaming yes. on, on January 1st. <laughs> so I binged all three of them. I was only planning to watch two, by the way. I didn't think I'd get to the third one. And then I just started the third one because it was literally like the top clock was ticking. And then I was like halfway through it. I'm like, eh, I'll finish watching. So I finished watching all three. And then I just recently watched the fourth because it was hard to track down. Unlike the first three, which are actually pretty easy to find. The fourth one was hard to find. And what I would say is that, like you said, I actually ended up liking it a lot. I would say it's definitely diminishing returns because you're just getting more of the same. But what I realized in watching it is that there's no way to say that the other sequels are as good as the first one. And I think if they really wanted to live up to, and this is a lot to live up to, by the way, but if they really wanted to live up to the first movie, it's like the first movie was a, a shock. It was like a reinvention. They would have to do something drastically surprising, you know, really take it in, a, almost have a different version of a horror movie per uh, iteration, I think. But instead, what they did was they really just made it a formula. Like all three, four movies, and now the current one, by the way, too, I looked it up on Internet Movie Database. They're all exactly, almost exactly to the minute, two hours long. And mm -hmm. every single one of them has, like you mentioned, it has the opening stinger where someone gets killed, someone mm -hmm. who of some repute is killed. Obviously, I think Drew Barrymore, I think he never talked Drew Barrymore, by the way. Like I'm watching Scream 2, Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps. And I'm looking at their resumes. They had made some movies at that point, but neither one of them were that famous when they got killed off. That's not a Drew Barrymore. But uh, so oh, I don't and think... if I could interject for a second, yeah. um, I had forgotten about that opening just now when we were yeah. talking. But I have to say, I did find that opening very uncomfortable to watch in yes. today's environment of yep. mass shootings and in yep. that kind of thing. It actually was very unsettling to me. And that's just a sign of the times more than anything else. But it's interesting how societal context changes probably how I felt about that scene from the first time I watched it. Yeah. And what I would add to that is I don't think the first scene works very well in total. I don't think it works very well because it's so drawn out to get to, to basically make it the same length as the Drew Barrymore sequence. And I really don't think it merits it. It's just not as good as the first one. It's not as fresh. But all that being said, I think at the end, when she gets stabbed, uh, Jada Pinkett gives a great performance. That scream she gives at the end is really shocking. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it kind of has that same kick that the end of the sequence with Drew Barrymore, where you're laughing at most of that. And then you see her strung up and her mom listening to it on the phone. And you're like, oh, this is serious. So it has that same kind of kick of taking you into a grim space. But even before then, when he, she's been stabbed and she's just stumbling around and everyone's just into the movie and they don't even notice that she's been stabbed, yeah. it, that whole part is very disturbing. So it does, uh, it does work there at the very end, although like, it's it, not, not as good as the first. And, as, and like I mentioned before, it, it actually almost lines up with the first movie. It becomes such a template. They have that opening sequence. They have that kind of breakneck pace. They have the red herrings in the same place. They had 
Randy explaining the rules in the same place. And then all the films have this like half hour. It's incredible. The end when the killer is revealed and then they explain their plot and everything. It's not 10 minutes or the last five minutes movie. It's like a half hour sequence in the film, but it's not boring. I don't think it's boring at all. I find it interesting enough. Those characters and their rationale is interesting enough that it doesn't drag the film down. And also one thing that you brought up again, going back to, sorry, again, going back to that opening sequence, I don't remember, I guess at the time, how famous a lot of the cast of Scream 2 was when it came out. But looking back at it, it's really an all-star cast. In there is somebody that we still know now. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. It's like even in Scream 1, you have Drew Barrymore, obviously. And then you have the star of Party of Five, which is very popular mm-hmm. with teens. You have the star of Friends, which is hugely popular. David Arquette, I mean, I don't remember exactly what he did, but he was definitely recognizable. And he had been around. Yeah. He'd also been a child star, which was still, but had grown into adult roles. And Oh, and then you have Henry Winkler and like you said, even yeah. supporting cast members. are. And of course, oh, by the way, and of course you have Skeet Ulrich, which no one knew who he was, but he's a dead ringer for Johnny Depp, who is in his first movie, Johnny Depp's first movie is the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. And they definitely style him to look like Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, his face isn't as pretty though, let's be honest. <laughs> Skeets or uh, or uh, Johnny Depp? Skeet. <laughs> Skeet has more of a, yeah, he has more of a, he, he looks like a killer all the time, basically. I mean, someone at some point, I, I guess in the, it must be in the first movie, says he has a face like a rat. And once they said it, I was like, <laughs> I do see the point. I can't unsee it now. I can't unsee it. Yeah. <laughs> they definitely shoot him in that way. They make him very angular in the way they shoot yeah. him, which makes him more, it's funny when you see it again, that he's so obviously the killer in a way. Going back all the way back to the first movie again. I think it's clever enough to let us know that we should suspect him to be the killer. And, oh, and I forgot to bring this up because I wanted to get your read on this as well. The first time I saw this movie, as I was watching it, from the very first moment, when he comes through that window, you're like, he's the killer. He's the killer. He's the killer. And then he's in jail when she gets that call. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, maybe he programmed it or something. So they keep playing this game. But I think intentionally they want you, they want to lead you to believing that he's the killer. And when they got to the end, and this should not have been as surprising, but I don't know why it was. I remember seeing this in the theater. And when there was like two killers, I was like, oh my God, two killers. My mind is blown. Like it, it was so revelatory to me. It was like the coolest twist ever. And I'm like, was it? It's not such a big twist, but, but I remember it knocked my socks off when I saw it. And that scene, right? That's such a good scene where. He's telling her, what do I have to do to convince you? I'm yes. not. Yep. All right. comes up behind him and he's like, see? <laughs> That's the thing is that the film is really good at tone management. It goes from thriller to horror, but also it throws jokes in there. First of all, I love in all the movies, by the way, all the way to the fourth one, Ghostface Killer, whoever happens to be Ghostface Killer is always like the clumsiest person in the world, <laughs> which I'm sure you would be wearing a mask. But yes, he's, it's very realistic. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I like constantly but, over that black robe and yeah. <laughs> but it's very hard to take him. It's not like Michael Myers who's just just there and no matter how fast you run, he's always going to catch up to you. He's always going to know where you are. It's like this real malevolent force. This is just like a really clumsy guy with a knife who, who by the way, is still very dangerous, but it's just seeing they don't show you it in a subtle way, like where you only see the blade emerge from the darkness. You see the bumbling, you see the the frantic yes. running, the arm swinging. <laughs> like it's there's no there's no 
making him uh, glamorous. But Yeah, no, it's very realistic and not like that type of killer that they're just made of steel. And no matter what you do, it doesn't slow them down. Like he definitely gets slowed down. Speaking to the comedy, it's not only the clumsiness of Ghostface. It's also that scene is great. But when you just mentioned where Harrisky Aldridge is like, what? It's like, what do I have to prove that you have to do to prove that I'm not the killer? And he's just like, you know, how about this? Have you got me stabbed <laughs> in front of you? Which, of course, turns out to uh, be a ploy anyway. But it's just funny in the moment. It's hilarious. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm. it really it's all good. Like, I would highly recommend them to anyone who hasn't seen them. It's just a super fun Way to spend a couple hours. Yeah, and I, I agree. was not disappointed on my rewatch, as I sometimes am when I rewatch movies. This one, like, I was just as into it in a different way because I knew the answers as I was the first time around. But it is fun, too, on that nostalgia idea to see all of these people yep. so yep. young that we are still watching today, a lot yep. of them, and see how they've changed and, and all of that. Like, it's just, it's all around. It's just so much fun. Yep, I agree. And and as far as the others as well, by the time you get to Scream 3, which I think is the worst of the sequels, I think Scream 4 is actually pretty solid. It may be even better than Scream 2. And oh. I, by the way, good news, hopefully, uh, the early reviews for this movie are very positive. So people are saying this is the best of the sequels. Maybe not as good as the first one, but still the mm -hmm. best of the sequels. And for me, Scream 4 was the best of the sequels previous, better than Scream 2. And uh, what I would say is none of them, because they become kind of repetitions of the first, none of them hold up that well compared to the first. But if you really like the first one, I just really enjoyed this. It was like a comfort watch. I like the mystery. I like, even when you know the mystery, once again, not as satisfying as that first one. But even when you know the mystery, there's still little mm -hmm. Easter eggs throughout the film. There's right. enough to keep you going. So it's definitely worth watching. Even hated the first one or thought it was okay. You're not going to like the other ones, is my, my opinion. But I think if you really like the recipe of the first one, the other ones are all good facsimiles of it. It's not never going to be the first, like the first time again, <laughs> but it's, it's still, it's still pretty solid watch. All of them, I would say. Yeah. Time well spent, really. Yeah. Even in this age of having too many options of things to watch, I think it's very worthwhile. You know, I would say if you want to skip any of them, skip the third one. That's the one <laughs> I would skip. But so who's in the fourth one? Anybody from these first ones? Everybody. Or... They're all back. They're all Is back. that right? Yeah. You have Courtney That's... Cox comes back and it's like she's 10 years later and she, 10 years after the third. And she's like her career's fallen off. She's with Dewey. But I think they're, they are still married or they're going, they're either divorced or they're going, you know, almost divorced, <clears throat> but Dewey's around. And uh, Nev Campbell has um, written a self-help book to be like, as a survivor, it's, she's trying to put a po positive spin on surviving this whole thing. And it's at the time, the 20th anniversary, or is it the, what is it? 15th, right? 25th now. So 15th, it's the 15th anniversary at that point. She's written this book. She comes back into town and uh, all of a sudden there's a killer on the loose. And then this the satire here, in, the, in that movie is that it's you're rebooting a franchise and then there's the rules of rebooting a franchise and everything's got to be like mm -hmm. bloodier everything's got to be bigger and it's totally true like the first kill like they walk into the room afterwards like the back of the door the walls are spattered it's like really grisly and uh i don't know if you want me to spoil who the killer is but by the time they get to the end there's the killer's revealed it's two killers again right because you have to go back to the original when the killer's revealed that what's interesting about it at the time and in retrospect, especially, is that they're basically jealous of the fact 
that Sydney has so much fame. And Sydney's like, you don't want this kind of fame. And they're like, I just want to be famous. I just don't want to be invisible. And it's all about basically like getting famous on social media and how it doesn't matter how you get famous on social media. It's just about getting uh, that feedback. And it's so funny that at the time I, I reread some old um, reviews when this movie came out, which didn't get a lot of positive reviews at the time. And mm -hmm. they're like, how ridiculous is this that someone would go through all this just to get famous on the internet? And now in retrospect, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> this yeah. thing seems pretty prescient at the time. Yeah, very timely. And I hear this one is actually pretty timely as well. And it's so I'm curious to see what this one's going to have up its sleeve. Yeah. I'm going completely spoiler free. So I do not want to know anything about this one. So I'm going to be surprised by it. I always feel like that's the best way to go into anything. Yeah. I'm like, if, if I plan to see a movie, I don't even want to see the trailer. I'm like, I, I plan to see this already. Don't have to sell me on it. I'm mm -hmm. just going to go in blind. I'm just thinking of things as we're talking. Yeah. about how these people are still people that we watch now. In the first movie, I was floored by how small Leif Schreiber's role is. And yeah. I was thinking, like, I, I don't remember how famous Leif Schreiber was at the time, but it seems insane to me that you would get Leif Schreiber to do this and have him barely say a word the entire time. I think he was a nobody at the time when he made the was first he? movie. Yeah, I that, think so. I this is so funny as far as you age out of things. When I just recently, most recently watched Scream, for that the other screams as they kept adding cast members i knew who all those people were obviously i didn't watch a lot of those teen shows but i knew who they were they got advertised on television people talked about them and then i get to the scream 4 movie and uh, there's all these people in it and there's a joke at the beginning by the way where you're watching another scream movie within another scream movie because like they've been making these stab movies the whole time supposedly so you think you're watching the actual movie, but you're, it's like a, a Russian nesting doll. You're like actually inside the other uh -huh. sequel, inside the other sequel, and it keeps going and going. So each time you're inside of another one of these, you know, Russian nesting dolls, it's like another two girls at the beginning talk, talking over and over again. And I'm like, who are these girls? So I literally like, they're nobodies as far as I'm concerned. And I like looked them up on Internet Movie Database and they were all like famous on CW TV shows. And I'm like, that's, that's where I was. That's where I was at that point. These people are all strangers to me because <laughs> I was too old to know who they were. That's funny. Oh, time marches on. Time marches on, indeed. Okay. That's really fun. That was a fun conversation. Yeah, definitely a very entertaining to rewatch those movies. I'm happy I had a reason to do it. Yeah. And we will be watching Yellow Jackets this week and recapping it. And we'll see how that goes. I'm going to be, I'm pretty excited for that as well. Yep, for sure. And I'll give you my impressions of the screen movie when we get back together. Great. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. officially in the spoiler section for Scream 5, Scream 2022, whatever you want to call it, the latest release of the Scream series. Uh, you're hearing some of the soundtrack by Brian Tyler, a pretty effective soundtrack. And as a matter of fact, all the music you've heard in this episode is from the soundtrack, Just Us from SZA, and of course, Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which has been in every Scream movie. We have another example of how this film follows the template of the previous Scream movies. As I mentioned briefly before, we have an attack that opens the film very similar to the Drew Barrymore attack in the first film. We have a very protracted 
central stalking sequence where we're waiting. We're waiting for the killer to appear. Where will they appear? Not here, not there. It's like this little game of hide-and-seek we're having with the killer. Someone's at risk, but they don't know that the killer's around. We know the killer's around, and we're waiting to see when is the jump scare going to come. And they draw it out and draw it out. And it's become more and more profound over the course of the series where this central stalking sequence gets more and more and more drawn, drawn out. And I, I'm pretty sure if we clock it, this is probably the longest one. Another repetition of a pattern we've seen in the previous ones. As I mentioned briefly before, we also have the killer revealed with many, which, with, with much time to go. And of course, they have to explain their complicated plot. But as I mentioned in my conversation with uh, Sona, this occurs in every single episode, in every single uh, episode, it pro- practically is an episode, <laughs> but in every single one of the sequels. I never find it boring. I actually think that they do a very good job of making these Agatha Christie-like mystery films, these slasher slash mystery films. And by the way, please do check out my previous commentary about my experience with with the screen movies because I also do go into the whole history of the slasher film where it came from and believe it or not the whole Agatha Christie suspects being picked off one at a time is not a coincidence it is actually the root of this the slasher film so do check that out if you want some historical context for slashers so also part of the template check mark here next to the long protracted explanation of the the killer's motives and the power dynamic shifting back and forth between the killer and the victims and then who is chasing who there at the end but well done some really fun parts here at the beginning the whole opening segment in which tara played by jenna ortega is talking to ghostface on the phone and she's talking about how she's bonding with her mother her mother apparently has a substance abuse issues she thinks she's speaking to one of one of the members of the group that she attends that her mother attends and she starts talking about she's into the elevated horror. She's into the Babadook. She's into the witch. She's into It Follows. She's into this, this artsier genre of horror that's emerged in the past decade, which, by the way, I'm a big fan of. But I do find it funny that Ghostface is having no part of that. He's like saying, that's like too highfalutin. I like the old school slashers. And this is a you know an old school slasher, but it has some elements of those other films as well. A little more high mindedness. I also like when Ghostface starts asking her, well, have you ever seen the stab movies? And she's like, well, yeah, I think I saw the first one. It was very 90s. It was all very overlit. And they everyone had really crazy hair. <laughs> so I like that as a definition of the style of that first film. Of course, she survives the attack. Or if you've seen this, I hopefully you have seen the movie before you get to this point in spoilers. But she survives the attack, which, of course, turns out to be the ploy to really just get the plot going, which is to not only attract, eventually, three of our main survivors from the previous sequels, Dewey, played by David Arquette, Courtney Cox playing Gail Weathers, and Nev Campbell playing Sidney Prescott. But the real lore here is to bring in Sam, played by Melissa Barrera, who had a breakout this year as well as uh, from being in the Heights. So this turns out to be all a ploy to bring her back, back to Woodsboro. And we discover that she is seeing visions. This is very cleverly done. She, they are bringing Billy Loomis. I assume they're using special effects, by the way. This must be some de-aging special effects on Skeet Ulrich, because I can't imagine he still looks that way. She is stalked by vit images of Billy because it turns out Billy was her dad. And that's the reason she had run away from her family and her sister. And the use of Billy here is very clever and possibly points to a direction this franchise can go in the future, exploring this potentially toxic relationship between Billy and his mother, multi-generational <laughs> insanity. <laughs> but that could be, it could be interesting to see if potentially, if there is a sequel and the murders continue, whether Sam 
starts to suspect herself. I wouldn't be surprised if that is the direction the next film goes in. Once the gang starts getting back together, we have, we discovered the rules of a requel. And it turns out that that is kind of commentary here. The first uh, Scream movie was really talking about the slasher film and the tropes of the slasher film. The second one was making fun of sequels and how sequels are just copies of the first. The third was talking about how trilogies are different than sequels. Pretty weak, to be honest with you. The only thing I will give credit to for the third film is that almost retroactively dealing with some of this, the Hollywood culture of play for pay, to flip it in, in that way, that kind of these starlets used to be sexually abused by producers and directors back in that era, especially when you consider the fact that Harvey Weinstein is one of the producers of the Scream movies, and of course, what's happened to him, it retroactively is a little more interesting than maybe I gave it credit for at the time, but it really is the weakest of all the sequels. With the fourth, they did do something interesting where they started to explore the toxicity of social media fame. And in this film, the internet is definitely yet a culprit once again. <laughs> toxic internet culture is subtext here, but more explicitly, the whole idea of this really toxic fandom that has come in the past few years where fans really want to see the movie the way they want to see it, and it has to be a copy of the original, but it has to feel like you're getting something new while you're actually getting exactly the same thing again. Now, to that point, I think that's exactly what they're commenting on this film. And I've actually read some reviews saying that once they kind of set that up as the, this is their thesis of this film, that you can't take the film seriously at any moment because you know that it's just playing out these beats. And I can see the argument, but I did not have that experience. I actually found that maybe like with the third screen movie, I definitely did feel that with this one, I was engrossed. I really enjoyed it. I like the mystery aspect to it. I guess I'm just a sucker for this form formula, but I do like the murder mystery aspect to the horror film. I think the horror is very good. Uh, the, the gore is significantly increased here, by the way. So if you are squeamish for gore, and I guess I'm doing this in the spoiler section, so maybe it's too late. But if you are a little squeamish for gore, it definitely is more intense in that regard. But I thought it was very well made. I thought there was a lot of tension there. The end, I was you know, excited. My heart rate picked up a little bit towards the end of the film. And I was uh, pretty impressed with what they pulled off. And as far as, you know, not taking this thing seriously for a second and just being aware that the film is completely, constantly reminding you you're watching a film, it is, but it somehow is able to pull off that magic trick once again. And I have to give David Arquette credit for his performance. I feel his performance of Dewey is really, really solid. I really empathized for him. And since we're in spoilers, he does die. And that is, you know, a good job with them really highlighting Dewey because it really, you know, after you just fall in love with him for the first time, for me anyway, I really never really, really liked David Arquette's performance. So for me to really have this 11th hour conversion <laughs> to a Dewey fan to then uh, have to have him die sh shortly thereafter. But I guess that's the point of the whole thing. That being said, that's my first nitpick here. Dewey, you go for the head right away. If Dewey had either gone for his head, if, well, gone for Ghostface Killer's head immediately, or had simply left to fight another day, he'd still be alive. You know, they gave him a good death. And it's interesting that Ghostface Killer tells him it's an honor when he kind of actually kills him, which was actually a little bit chilling there. But he shouldn't have been so dumb. I mean, he's been in four of these movies. He knows how these rules are. And he shouldn't have been so dumb. I wish that he gave him a little bit, little bit more of a smart death scene. I still think that he did a great job as a performer here. And just to follow up on my other nitpick is that the cops are never around. I mean, even when we see Deputy Hicks, or is she sheriff now? But anyway, when we see Hicks and she is racing back to her house and she's murdered in front of her house in broad daylight, 
there's nobody around. Uh, you know, why didn't she radio for another cop? I mean, she did ask for a trace, but she should have told people to go directly to her house. And then the whole sequence at the end, <laughs> the fact that no one ever calls the cops, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's um, uh, Courtney Cox, when she's indisposed at one point, she's basically sidelined and she's just sitting there you know, off screen for a period of time. And she didn't call the cops or maybe they call the cops and we're supposed to believe, hey, a lot of this action is just in parallel. So it's not happening in 15 minutes. It's happening all at once in five minutes. Still, you know, these killers are, <laughs> have a lot of work to do, you know, to, they can't just like kill everybody. They need to actually do the cover up. And if they're thinking they're going to pull that whole thing off in five minutes, it seems very questionable. They have, a, they spend a lot of time explicating and chasing people around the house and not planning their cover up that clearly when you have the cops theoretically minutes away. And how long does it take the cops to get to the, I mean, this small town, I live in a relatively small town. One of our neighbor's houses caught fire from their Christmas ornaments. And I felt like within minutes, there were five police cars and three uh, fire trucks. But I guess this is also formulaic in the fact that the cops are never there. You know, like Billy and uh, Stuart are laying it all out for Sydney in that first film. And they're like, this is all the stuff we're going to do to set this whole thing up before the cops arrive. And it's like, dude, you got three minutes. <laughs> you, you, you better get moving. But like I said, that's just part of the formula at this point as well. So overall, really entertaining. I love the kills at the end. Really brutal, by the way, really brutal. And when when Sam unleashes her inner Billy, it's truly, <laughs> you know, it's exciting and terrifying at the same time. And it does make you wonder what direction the series will go next if uh, if it continues. But yet we touch on the concepts of, you know, a lot of this toxic fandom that's surrounded any of these kind of legacy sequels, like whether it was the Star Wars, maybe most notably the Star Wars films, but others as well. I mean, you think about the Justice League film that got re-edited and reshot because the fans want, demanded it. So in all way, in most ways, I, although I enjoy them hitting that target and I do like the way the whole thing plays out, I do also think that motive is a little weak, but it didn't really hurt my experience of the film that much. So the only question now is how long do we wait for another sequel? I have a feeling this movie is going to have a pretty solid opening week and we'll see how well it does overseas. But this film makes more money than the previous Scream films has. And during a pandemic, no less, I'm very skeptical that they will not continue this franchise. Another strange thing is it seems like so many of our characters have died at the end of the film. And I guess this is also kind of a cliche in this franchise at this point. But at the end, they're wheeling people out and they're giving each other a thumbs up. And I'm like, that guy's still alive? How's that person still alive? <laughs> but somehow they're still alive, but not our killers, plural. So yeah, if you, did you enjoy this? Did you not enjoy it? If you really think that this was a wasted opportunity, please reach out to me. Give me a, send me an email. Need some introduction at gmail.com. If you want to hear other movie reviews, check out my reviews for Candyman for the Halloween kills movie recently, all available in this feed. I've also given, given my opinion on the previous screen movies in a previous episode in one of the Dexter New Blood recap episodes recently. And of course, I gave my review of the Spider-Man movie and in the same episode reviewed a bunch of Marvel content that was available at that time, right around the November, December period. So definitely catch up on those if you haven't listened to them already. And if you're a music fan as well, check out my conversation with my friend Ian about 1991 and the, the change in the music industry at that point once Nirvana overtook Michael Jackson on top of the music charts. And we'll also be having a follow-up conversation soon thereafter. And of course, we also had a very successful recap season of Succession, a great season of Succession, which just wrapped up recently. And if you'd like to hear those recaps as well, it's in the same feed. So I hope you find other things to listen to. And we will be recapping and reviewing Yellow Jackets season finale this weekend. Talk to you soon.
Oh, 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 oh,